0: Welcome to another episode of Something Rhymes with Purple. My name is Charles Brandreth and my co-host is my friend, the world's leading lexicographer in my view, she always disputes that, but I think it's true, it's Susie Dent. How are you, Susie?
1: I am very well, thank you. And I have not been, I mean, I've been quite busy, but nowhere near as busy as you. Have you even slept for the last 10 days?
0: Not a great deal, because I have people who've been watching uh, BBC television will know this, or indeed ITV, people in the UK will know this. I've been taking part in some of the broadcasts covering the the death and then the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II, which turned into a global event. The reckoning is that more than four billion people across the world uh, watched part of the funeral of the British Queen, who was our sovereign, the longest-reigning sovereign in British history, uh, and it was extraordinary in a way that, when you think about it, we're not that big a country. We're the 21st most populous country in the world. Our economy is well, it's the sixth largest GDP. So we're not up there at the top of the league table. But when it came to when it comes to the royal family, and when it came to the Queen, there genuinely was global interest. Uh, and that is, I think, remarkable. I, I think it's partly the heritage of royalty. I, I was at Westminster Abbey for the funeral of the Queen, reflecting on the fact that the Abbey was founded by King Edgar, the King of the East Angles, you know, even before William the Conqueror, and kings and queens for generations. So I think only Two of our sovereigns have not been crowned there and they were kings who weren't crowned. Um, Many were married there. It's a thousand years of history.
1: So, huge amount of pageantry. um, And it was... Flawless, faultless on the day, wasn't
0: it? it? wasn't that extraordinary. Of course, they'd been planning it for many, many years. Mm. But nonetheless, the, the operation worked seamlessly and yeah. the, the, the military precision. I mean, I was particularly moved by the the young men serving soldiers. Some of them, I think, were actually uh, away in Iraq at the time of her death, who were back in England and in London, carry, the pallbearers, yeah. those young men carrying... <sighs> uh, and, and, the <laughs> and
1: that just—I have to say—my heart was in my mouth all the way through because they looked so intense, and at times they looked very pained, and it was hard to know whether it was fear for them because, of course, the pressure of, of you know, just just holding that weight as I say faultlessly, you know, without any slip-ups was just huge, and they did. It they did it so
0: well. I wanted to ask you, because there was so much weaponry on display of different kinds, ancient and modern, but there also, for me, what we had never seen before was state funerals we have seen before. I remember the funeral of Winston Churchill for example, which was one of the few state funerals for a, a person, a non-royal person that's taken place in this yeah. country. The military precision was extraordinary. But what we none of us had seen before was the committal service at St. George's Chapel in Windsor, Windsor. Hmm. which involved the removal from the coffin of the crown, the scepter and the orb. As I was watching it, I, I wondered about the origin of those words, crown, scepter and orb. So I'm asking you this without giving you fair warning of it. Or, I suppose is orb as in the world is a globe explain yes three exactly
1: words. as in round because it is absolutely remarkable isn't it so it's something spherical and the latin orbis means a ring just going back i was thinking before i get to scepter etc i was thinking about the bearer. the pall is actually the blanket covering the coffin uh, oh. rather than the coffin itself it goes to the latin uh, pallium like a, a sort of blanket um and the scepter the ornamented staff it's a symbol it? isn't it? I'm not completely sure maybe of sovereignty, but that goes back to a Greek word and it's to lean upon. So if you imagine it's it's almost like a, well, it is a staff and a staff is like a, a sort of stick or a cane, isn't it? So it's something that you would you would lean upon possibly in its, in its sort of earliest uses, not in its short ornamented uses today. So originally it would have been a lot longer. And uh, what was the other one wow. that you- that oh, the crown. word crown. Oh, yeah. Well, i imagining that that is simply, again, from the Latin corona, uh, which is exactly what that means, uh, meaning a wreath or a coronet. But I think it had a French influence along the way. So it, it as so often, was sort of slightly corrupted in, in our sort of Anglo-Norman hybrid, the sort of language that emerged after the Norman Congress, which was a sort of mishmash of English and, and uh, French. Let's,
0: I mean, no, there were arms on display of every kind, uh, not yeah. ALMS, uh, but arms as in armaments that some yes. of the people were called gentlemen at arms. Yes. Uh, A-R- arms for armour, I mean, what's the origin of that?
1: The root of arms is from the Latin armour. A-R-M-A, which means weapons or war or tools of war. The word armour, as in body armour, has the same root, but it's not the same word as the arm that's part of the body. So that came into English via German, I think. So very, very different, It's an old English word and and not connected with the um, military arms. But you will find the military arms also, which I've always loved this, uh, in armistice, which you might expect, which um, means the stopping still. Of arms, so they're sort of putting down laying down of weapons, but also armadillo because an armadillo translates um, from Spanish into little armed man. Isn't oh, that's
0: delightful, that's very yeah. sweet. Yeah, uh, weapons, arms can be weapons. Mm. What's the origin of the word weapon?
1: Weapon is simply old English, it's very, very ancient, and it simply means a tool of war, so nothing particularly exciting there except if you want to introduce a little bit of phallic symbolism weapon can also mean your penis so there's a lot of kind of there's a, there's a sort of different tangent that weapons go on and it's almost if you remember the f-bomb also started we think in a latin word meaning to fight so that whole sort of hostility which i think is probably slightly misogynistic is all wrapped up in this idea of sort of uh you know weapons and and fighting and sex viewed through that uh prism
0: One of the interesting things about doing this coverage for the Queen's funeral was learning things I didn't know before. I mean, I I knew about the Order of the Garter being the oldest order of chivalry, but I didn't know that it took precedence over all other orders except people who have won the Victoria Cross or the George Cross.
1: Ah, I didn't know
0: that either. So you learn things. And I did know that it was senior to the Order of the Thistle, which is really the Scottish equivalent of the Order of the Garter. And, of course, there were on parade people who belonged to the Order of the Thistle. And in Scotland, they have these wonderful uh, hats with, with all sort of feathers in. And it sort of has some link with archery and the company of archers. Yes. And then I okay. began to think, well, where does archery come from? Where do bows and arrows come from? These are weapons too. Can you enlighten yes. us there?
1: Well, it all began really with the uh, the Roman's word arcus, meaning a bow. And if you think about an arc, it is slightly bow-shaped. So it's as simple as that. But the bow part, the archer's bow and the act of bending and bowing, which we pronounce differently, are related because you are bending your body. And the archer's bow got its name from, again, that sort of slightly bent shape. And you'll find that in elbow as well, uh, believe it or not, and a rainbow too.
0: So when you bow, Mm. it's the same origin as bow it's the same idea of being bent yeah they
1: they're related uh, it's not a kind of direct line for each of them they're slightly parallel but they are siblings
0: etymologically speaking intriguing while mm. we've got to bowing do you know the origin of curtsy which some females yes. uh, are supposed to do when males bow though i think possibly when you are as for example the princess royal international people need to know that the Princess Royal is the title that was given some years ago to Princess Anne, who was the late Queen's eldest daughter. And Princess Anne got very good coverage here. I think people thought... Well done you. She mm. she is the busiest member of the royal family, rivaled her father, the late Duke of Edinburgh, in trying to fill her diary with, with more things done in a day than anybody else with a leaner team. And she was with her mother, the Queen, at the time she died in Balmoral in Scotland uh, and then accompanied her body from uh, Balmoral to Edinburgh and then from Edinburgh to London. Mm. And some of the uniforms that she wore were uniforms that had trousers. And when she was wearing those, she would bow rather than curtsy. But when she was in a frock, she would curtsy. Um, A long way of asking you, You've told us about bow. Tell us about curtsy.
1: (laughs) Curtsy is simply a mangled form or a a variant of courtesy. Uh, So when you curtsy, you are showing courtesy and chivalry. Women weren't necessarily connected with chivalry, which, if you remember, goes back to mounted men-at-arms and the the French cheval, meaning a horse. So, yeah, it's simply a, a relative of courtesy.
0: Well, in those ancient days when there was chivalric contests, I can picture them, people on horseback riding towards one another with shields and lances. Um, What is the origin of the lance? It's a weapon too, isn't it?
1: Yes, because we've talked before, haven't we, about freelancers and freelancers oh, were mercenaries, yes. free to use their lance uh, for whomever paid the most. But yeah, that simply goes back to a Latin word, meaning the same thing which came into French as lancier, and it gave us a lance corporal um, as well um, in mm-hmm. the military. And the lance corporal, I think, is an analogy of an old Italian word, lancia spezzata, meaning a broken Lance and lance corporal is the lowest grade of non commissioned officer, I think. And it's believed that the broken lance was used to describe a long serving soldier who was likely to have broken many of their lances during battle.
0: As well as a lance, of course, those soldiers in olden times, and indeed the soldiers that we saw on display uh, during the Queen's funeral, some of them were wearing uh, or carrying swords. Mm. Well, I mean, I always love the word sword because it's an anagram of the word. Words. Um, but <laughs> yeah. what is sword? Where does it come from?
1: Sword simply comes from the German Schwert. It's a Germanic word, and that explains the silent W um, because it's S in German, it's S C H W E R T. Of course, we
0: don't say sword, do we? No. Sword is something quite different.
1: Yeah, and that's to remember, English is absolutely peppered with silent letters because, um, well, for lots and lots of different reasons, but quite a lot of them are to do with the fact that we hoovered up words from all sorts of different languages.
0: One of the reasons I am still exhausted, even though it's a while since the funeral, is that we had to get up very early, particularly on the day of the funeral, if you were like me. Uh, broadcasting with the BBC. Originally, I was told, please, you're going to be on air with BBC Breakfast at 7 30. Please be there by 7 15. Then the night before, they got in touch and said, I'm sorry, we're sending the car for you at 5 in the morning. It's 5 in the morning. We're not on till 7 30. They said, no, it's because the whole of Westminster is going to be shut down hmm. for security reasons because we have 200 world leaders coming, um, yeah. including uh, the President of the United States. Uh, in the beast, his his own car that he brings from Washington, D.C. with him. And so we went in at five in the morning and then the cars took us to the perimeter of the locked off area. And then we had to walk the last mile ourselves to get to Westminster Abbey through the streets and through lots of cordons with all our security passes. But that made me think, oh, my gosh, Let's pray there isn't a bomb. And we now know it's after the event there, there wasn't. The security was good. It was the, the biggest security operation yeah, in London since the Second World War, apparently. Yeah, but phenomenal. I made me think about the word bomb. Where does mm. a bomb come from?
1: Probably on a massive pick. Well, it goes back to the Greek bombos, which meant a uh, booming bombos. or a humming um, and of course a bomb goes boom um so yeah, probably born for its sound, but the very first bombs, and we're looking back to the 1600s now are what we would call shells, so you know they had they had fuses that you would ignite and then you would fire them from mortars. so that that was sort of how they they originated. and a bombardier, gets their name from an early gun, which was called a bombard. And that comes from the same source as bomb.
0: And would bombast, a word like that, be linked in the same way?
1: No, I think bombast, or originally bombast was um, padded material that was stuffed into waistcoats and things. So it was a sort of downy material that made them quite warm. But then, of course, if you include lots of padding in your speech, you might be described as being bombastic. So I think that's got a different origin to do with material.
0: Oh, I love the way you know all this stuff. In the days of those early bombs and shells, was the time when people were firing muskets. Mm. What, what's the origin of musket?
1: Weirdly, it goes back to the Latin for a little fly, a musca, which was a sort of midge, if you like. It also gave us the name of a kind of sparrow hawk, which obviously sort of flies, which in French was a mousquette. And maybe the hawk was was called this because obviously it flies and it looks quite speckled when it's in flight but also early firearms were often given the names of you know animals so you have a dragoon dragon you have a falcon which is a kind of cannon and so on and so on so mosquito was really a sparrow hawk and the the ballistic weapon probably took its name from that bird of prey and then you've got the three musketeers haven't you as well and
0: never mind the three musketeers, what about mm-hmm. the seven samurai when we're talking about swords? Is a samurai a person or is it a sword? What is the samurai?
1: Yeah, samurai is a member of a Japanese warrior caste. Originally, they were the aristocratic warriors, but then it came to apply to all members of that kind of warrior class. They rose to power in the 12th century, and then they dominated government really in Japan until the late 19th century. And the sword was the symbol of the samurai class, which is maybe what you're thinking of. Um, And samurai itself means they who serve.
0: Oh, they who serve. Mm. What about a machete? thinking of weapons.
1: Oh, yeah, horrible things, because it comes from a Latin word meaning slaughter and sacrifice. So never very good.
0: No, my my son, during his gap year, anyway, years ago, when he was, before he went to university, he went on a trip to India and brought back in his luggage from India, sort of machete, I mean I well, think it was a, a gosh, sort of how tourist he bring act.
1: it through security.
0: Well was not that amazing. Yeah. I don't know where it is now. He used to have it in his bedroom. I thought, Oh dear. I mean I really didn't like it being up there at all.
1: No, not surprised.
0: I love to name drop and I haven't for a while. But speaking of the Windsors and of course uh, the queen was from the house of Windsor, I was introduced by the late Barbara Windsor oh yes to, to <laughs> some of her friends who had well who had gangster connections. Mm. And one of them showed me once, this is years ago, talking about the 1970s, showed me a knuckle duster. And what a sinister uh, oh. weapon that was. Yes. It was a small one. He only had it, it. went over three fingers. It was like three rings yeah. uh, that he put it on his fingers. But can you imagine? I mean, explain how, uh, if people haven't heard of what a knuckle duster is, how they work, what they were used for, what the origin of it is.
1: I think the duster part is the kind of criminal slang for a sort of weapon, a bit of a kind of dark euphemism. So a knuckle duster is essentially a metal guard that's worn over the knuckles and worn expressly to increase the effect of your blows because you're being hit by, uh, you know, whacked with a, a hefty bit of metal. So they're kind of finger guards. They're not unlike what the Roman gladiators called the cestus. And they, they use something sort of a little bit similar.
0: I want you to tell me about shotguns and shotgun weddings after the break. OK. I do want to say something. We, we've just done a fun live Purple podcast on stage in the West End, and we're mm-hmm. going to be doing more. So if you want to come and meet us, Purple people want to, and people,
1: we'd love to meet uh, you. We'd more, love to. More
0: importantly, but this this will amuse you, Susie. Yeah. I, I spent literally every day for ten days near Buckingham Palace or uh, wandering around that part of London, and I was admiring the amazing. Floral tributes. Tens of thousands of people left flowers in memory of the Queen. Many of them left Paddington bears, a miniature of the bears.
1: I saw those, and little corgis as well. Not real ones.
0: Enchanting. Two curious things happened. One day I was crossing. Green Park, going down towards Buckingham Palace, and a child began pointing at me and shouting, saying, there's the king! There's the king! Oh. And, yeah, well, I think <laughs> which, I, uh, I am the same age uh, as the king, so maybe that was allowable. But I think it was her mother had said, it's Charles," and I think she had heard it as being Charles, and therefore came ah. running up to me. So I, I didn't know whether to disabuse her and pretend to be <laughs> the king so that she could feel that she had met the king. Uh. But I didn't think I could beat that experience. But I, the last time I was there, and I was with some lovely people from the Royal Parks who had mm. helped the broadcasters invaluable. And they, they helped keep the, the file of people waiting to go to see the Queen lying in state, but also the people leaving the flowers. They were There was such a lovely, lovely friendly atmosphere. There was nothing but a friendly atmosphere throughout. And I met some of these guys who were gardeners in the Royal Parks, and they had left their own tribute, geraniums. Anyway, huh. I was chatting to this guy, Mike, who was one of the head gardeners there, one of the head People in the in the park, and a fellow in a purple t shirt ran up to me, and said, "Oh, it's you! It's you!" And I said, "No, I'm not the king." He said, "No, no, I know who you are. You're Giles. Give my love to Susie." Oh, he said, "I'm a purple person."
1: Oh, and he was this wearing this purple person thing is really catching on, isn't it? He was um, wearing a purple t shirt. Oh, it's so lovely. I went back to my old college this weekend for um for a dinner, and the principal of my old college, Jan Royal, is just is she's just lovely. But she was very bemused when someone on the other Side of the table, leant over and said, I'm a purple person. She <laughs> just had absolutely no idea what was going on. But it is lovely. It's such a lovely community club clubbable thing. Do you call um, these
0: reunions gaudies?
1: It wasn't a gaudy, actually. It was just an, an alumnus dinner.
0: What is a gaudy? Why is it called a gaudy?
1: Because it goes back to the Latin gaudere or gaudere to rejoice. Oh,
0: as in Gaudiamus, we will yes, rejoice. We will Very rejoice. Good. And alumni is a Latin word meaning.
1: Alumni is a Latin word meaning, I don't know. I mean, I know what it means, but I don't know what... La- Where it what comes the, from. Yeah, okay, leave that with me. I'll tell you after yeah, the break.
0: Please, tell us after the break. But if you want to meet us, uh, and you don't need to be an Oxford alumnus or alumna or even no, a group of all. alumni, you, you can meet us in Oxford because we're going to be on Susie's own turf at the University Theatre, the Oxford Playhouse, oh, yeah. on the 9th of October. So we we were both lucky enough to be undergraduates, as they were called in my day. They may have been called students in your day, I don't know, uh, at the University of Oxford. But come along to the Oxford Playhouse on the 9th of October. Each show we do is different, and we try to meet as many purple people as possible, you know, during the interval before the show, whenever we can. If you want tickets, info, go to somethingrhymeswithpurple, all one word, dot com Follow us on social media at Something Rhymes, that's on Twitter, capital S, capital R, Something Rhymes, Facebook, uh, or Something Rhymes With on Instagram. So find out more. We're coming back to the Fortune Theatre in the West End in the coming months, but we are in Oxford on the 9th of October. We will take a break and then you'll find out all about, well, alumni and the shotgun. This is Something Rhymes with Purple. I'm Giles Bradroth. Susie Dent is an Oxford alumna. What's the origin of that, Susie? Do you
1: know, I, this may be one of those moments where I think I never knew that. You know, a word that, I mean, I suppose I don't use it too often, but I really should have known that alumnus and alumna goes back to a Latin word Alare, meaning to nourish. Oh. And it first had that general sense of someone or something providing nourishment. Isn't that lovely? And in Latin, the literal meaning of an alma mater, which is related, is a bounteous nourishing mother. Which is gorgeous. So it's all about being nourished by your group or organisation, because as Jan Royal, the principal of Somerville said, you know, once a Somerville always a Somerville you never leave, do you?
0: You do never leave. That's absolutely true. My wife would wish I would leave school. She said, you're still (laughs) at nursery school. You never leave, do you? And also you sometimes feel they are nourishing you, but they're wanting you to provide nourishment for the next generation. Because whenever the Alumni Association of my old college get in touch, (laughs) they're dunning you for money. But there we are. Yeah,
1: understandably, I suppose. I also
0: wanted you to tell me about a shotgun. What's Mm. the origin of a shotgun?
1: Well, a shotgun, obviously, is the idea of shooting. But it's interesting the way it's it's used metaphorically. And and often people will say, shotgun, that's or shotgun, that, piece of cake. And it was because the, I think we've maybe talked about this on a previous episode, but the shotgun seat was the front passenger seat in a vehicle. And it was Ah. traditionally where a carriage would be uh, protected by a, a man, usually a man armed with a shotgun. And the chance to sit in this seat on a particular journey as that need uh, diminished was you know was too good to miss really because it was a prime seat, and so if you say shotgun, it means I want that seat, and by extension, I want whatever it is that you know that is being um, being coveted.
0: Is there a difference between a gun and a shotgun? Because it doesn't it's rather like people talking about horse riding. I suppose you could ride different things than horses, but mostly people mm. when they say I'm going riding, you know, it's on a horse. But shotgun, what's the difference between a shotgun and a gun?
1: Well, gun is, is one of those really interesting words because it was um, it comes from the female name Gunhilde, which, of course, is a great Germanic word. Oh. Actually, it's also Scandinavian, I think. So we think it came from that because guns and, and warfare, particularly in medieval time, were given pet names, if you like. You remember Brown Bess, um, which was the nickname of a musket used in the British Army once, and then Mons Meg, which is the 15th century cannon in Edinburgh Castle. So that's gun. And a shotgun is simply, I'm guessing, a gun that shoots shot. I, I'm guessing it's as simple as that. A smooth-bore oh, gun a... for firing small shot at Oh,
0: as opposed to yeah. a single bullet is fighting, firing yeah. shot. And yeah. a shotgun wedding is where in olden days, mm. if there was a, a couple, they found themselves, yeah. one of them found herself pregnant before matrimony. The father of the girl would go mm. to the father of the child and put a shotgun to their head and say, you yeah. marry my daughter, make a, yeah. a lady of her.
1: Also, I think it's got the it's got a slight sense of speed, hasn't it? Ah,
0: oh, they had to do it quickly. It was a shot. Yeah. Oh, I see. It's, that's but I not, think it's
1: both. it's both. I think it's both. A shotgun.
0: What about yeah. when with guns? What about a smoking gun? As a phrase, There's so many phrases involved.
1: Yeah, I mean, smoking weathering. gun. I think is literally because um, the evidence is still there because the gun is still is still hot from shooting of a bullet, so a firing of a bullet. So I think it's it's a literal metaphor that one, if you like.
0: As is dodging a bullet. I mean, that's actually you're just literally you you you've you dodged the bullet. The you're gun was firing, a, and you were just
1: Bullet exactly biting the bullet there's, there's all, all lots of stories around this and the most popular story is, is this was one one occasion, Giles, where actually the story turns out to be true because as you know, I'm always the party pooper and have to dispel myths, but it really was that without anesthetic particularly in mid- military hospitals, soldiers were given a bullet to put between their teeth so that they could bite down on oh. the bullet to withstand the pain, which is fairly extraordinary. <sighs> that's biting the bullet. We fall on our sword, don't we? We kind of sacrifice our job or our reputation for the sake of others.
0: What's about a two-edged sword? What's a double-edged sword?
1: Oh, a double-edged sword. There are such things. I mean, again, I'm not very good at actual weaponry, but a double-edged sword really is a sword with uh, two edges. So if it's a double-edged sword, it means there's no happy outcome, really, or at least there's no, there's no kind of easy path.
0: Yes. Whichever way it strikes you, it's going to hurt you. Exactly. But don't bring your knife to a gunfight.
1: What's bring, I, that's not an expression I know. No, I'd not heard that too. I suppose it just means, I think it comes from The Untouchables, actually, which was a brilliant film, if you ever saw that, with Kevin Costner. Did you ever see that film? No, I'm afraid Absolutely brilliant.
0: my wife insists that we avoid films with violence. So basically, okay. we are watching um, Paddington 2 oh, on permanent repeat.
1: That was on last night, actually. It was a lovely thing to do.
0: Because of that beautiful film that the Queen made oh, only a few months ago, featuring yeah. Paddington Bear completely enchanting. Yeah.
1: I just love the um, the clinking of the of the cockery oh, at the end. It was, it was brilliant. Anyway, I think it comes from the outtouchables and I think it means just make sure you bring the right weapons to the right fight kind of thing. In other words, do whatever is appropriate for the context.
0: Give us a couple more of these. But
1: loads, aren't there? And I think most of them are fairly self-explanatory, like a loose cannon is an unpredictable or uncontrollable person. Son of a gun. Do you remember I told you about this one? Son of a gun is a bit of an old, either an exclamation or if you're calling someone a bit of a bastard. You call them a son of a gun. And bastard is relevant here because it's all about illegitimacy. Um, It comes from naval history. The gun is one of the guns carried on board ships. And the phrase is said to have been applied to babies born at sea to women who were allowed to accompany their husbands, or sometimes they wouldn't be the wives. And if the father of the child wasn't known, then the child was described in the ship's log as son of a gun.
0: Gosh. Mm. It's also an expression like son of a gun, just as an exclamation, isn't it?
1: Like damnation or something, isn't it? Yes. Marvellous.
0: If you are an international person and are not familiar with some of these phrases, but have some from your own country that you'd like us to explore or want to share with us, do please get in touch. We love purple people in communication. And all you need to do is send us an email, purple at com. Have we had good, interesting communications this week?
1: Oh, we definitely have. So we, oh, this is from a fellow Somervillian. This is nice. I've been talking about Somerville. This is from Annabelle H. And uh, she sent us a voice message. Hello, Giles, and fellow former Somervillian Susie. Thank you for your brilliant podcast. I am preempting the inevitable question from my word-loving five-year-old, whose current favourites include Poop and disintegrate. Please tell me kidnapping originally had something to do with goats. And while we're on the subject, what can you tell me about I kid you not? Thank you very much, Annabelle.
0: This is child's play to you, or kid stuff. Tell us the answers, would you, Susie?
1: <laughs> okay, so I'm afraid that kidnapping does actually come from the, uh, the nabbing. So nap here is just a variant of nabbing or seizing uh, children. But there are goats involved, Annabelle, because uh, the kid sense of a child, you know, as in my kids, are references to young goats originally. A kid obviously is a young goat. And so the idea was simply transferred from young animals to young human animals. So there is a kind of link there as there is with kidding someone, as in, oh, stop kidding around or, oh, you must be kidding. That probably is from the idea of making a child or a goat of someone. In other words, just sort of making them look a little bit foolish. So we think that's where that came from.
0: Very good. Well, Mm. thank you, Annabelle. Thank Uh, you. People who didn't follow what Somervillians are, uh, Oxford University is a university which has a college, collegiate system. And so when you go to the university, you are in a college. And I was at New College. And um, Susie was at Somerville College, which in my day was a women's only college. Was it co-ed by the time you were there? No,
1: it was in my day too. And it went uh, mixed, um, not long after I left, actually. But no, it was all, all women when I was there. And in fact, when I was there on Saturday night, I was remembering the awful drinking nights that we were encouraged to go to because Oriel College was all male and so we were encouraged to go and have kind of sherry parties, <laughs> which never, never really worked. So gangs of girls and gangs of boys got together. Honestly, it was worse than the school disco. We,
0: we had sherry parties at New College. We even, But those of us who thought we were rather special, there was even a Madeira evening when you didn't have sherry. You had Madeira. Can you imagine? Uh, totally ridiculous. Yes. Those are the days. If you've got college memories you want to share with us or any <laughs> (laughs) linguistic queries, don't forget it's purple at else.com. Every week, Susie, you come up with three special words. What are the three words you've come up with this week?
1: Well, I have one for the Queen, the late, great Queen Elizabeth II. It's not one that trips beautifully off the tongue, but it has a a beautiful definition. And it's kalokagathia. So it's K A L O K A G A T. -T 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 H-I-A. And it means nobility and goodness of character. Mmm. I like that. It's also a reminder of nidification. I know I've talked about nidificating before. don't know if you remember it, Giles, but to nid- nidificate if you're a bird is to build yourself a cosy nest and retreat for a little while. Oh, I love that. Um, so that is the act of nid- nidification. Is just retreating for a while in your cosy den. And finally, again, I don't think the Queen had this, polydipsia. Polydipsia is a great first, but usually in a kind of figurative sense, like he had a polydipsia for fame. Mm. So uh, those are my three. Do you have a poem for us today?
0: Yes, I have got a poem. And it's a, a very simple poem, but it's one of my favourites by Langston Hughes. I, I'm sure I've quoted him before. He was a a pioneer of, of what I think was called the American jazz poetry movement. It's, it's basically, you know, built on jazz-like movements in, in rhythm, repetitive phrasing, and the appearance of improvisation. I think he wrote these poems quite carefully. There was something called the New York uh, Harlem Renaissance Movement in which African-American poets develop a sort of sense of, of, of pride. And, mm. and this is one of his poems, and I just love it. It's called To You. To sit and dream, to sit and read, to sit and learn about the world outside our world of here and now, our problem world. To dream of vast horizons of the soul through dreams made whole, unfettered, free. Help me, all you who are dreamers too. Help me to make our world anew. I reach out my dreams to you. Oh... And I thought of that poem this week because I felt that uh, during the 10 days of official mourning in the UK, meeting all the people who were, and I know not everybody was, I know, Mm. uh, but I think most people were, not everybody, by all means. But as you rightly said at the beginning, people who weren't necessarily monarchists or royalists had a special feeling. There was a good feeling people were being pleasant to one another. There was a there was a, yeah. a, a nice atmosphere in the air. And I just thought, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if that could last a little yeah. bit longer, if that could be one of the legacies of uh, the Queen's special life. That's what made me think of that poem by Langston Hughes.
1: That's a, a lovely poem. And um, we hope you loved it too, and that you loved the show. So please keep following us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really did like it, then please do recommend us to friends and family. Uh, we're on Social media too, aren't we, Giles?
0: We very much are. Oh my gosh, non-stop, twittering away.
1: We're on Twitter, um, but also you can find us on at Something Rhymes on Twitter and Facebook or at Something Rhymes With on Instagram. And there is also the Purple Plus Club for ad-free listening and exclusive bonus episodes for purple people still on words and language and poetry.
0: Something Rhymes With Purple is a Something Else and Sony Music Entertainment production produced by Harriet Wells and Sophie King with additional production from Chris Skinner, Jen Mystery, Jay Beale... Teddy, Riley, and in person. It's
1: Gully, never call him uh, a polydipsic.
0: Oh, not sure an income.